Hey, here on the Wide Angle Podium Network, the Honest Bicycle Program is supported by Health IQ, a life insurance agency. Health IQ has exclusive rates for health conscious people. They crunch numbers on athletes and use unique models to offer physically active people lower rates on life insurance. So to learn more, go to healthiq.com slash honestbicycle. There you can learn more about what they're about. You can get a free quote on life insurance. That's healthiq.com slash honestbicycle. We're glad to have your support, so go check them out. I'm going to do the thing that I do sometimes, which is like, it's so cheesy. Uh, what's that? Like, I'm almost embarrassed by how cheesy it is, but... You're not, you're not that embarrassed. It's just, it's, it's, it's very hokey, but I think it gets us in the right frame of mind that, you know, we're just like, we're hanging out, having a little happy hour and yammering with each other and some people are joining us for that and that's cool. Yeah. Welcome to those of you who are joining us. So, um, what is that? that a, a cream soda or something? Uh, this is a dogfish head sequench ale. It's a session sour. It's blissfully brewed with lime juice, lime peel, black limes, and sea salt. Well, it's, it's not just regularly brewed. No, it's, it's blissfully. Bliss, blissfully brewed. Yeah. Hmm. Fo- follow your bliss. I'm blissing out. Yeah. No, I've got. Uh, I have a. I have a malted beverage in front of me too. Oh yeah. It's already. You're yeah. to the malts? Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a great band really going back to the roots, you know? Yeah. The malts. <laughs> it's it's good stuff. It sounds like um kind of like an indie like rockabilly band, doesn't the it? The malts. Um Yeah. Yeah, there there's definitely like a little bit of alt country in there but definitely like an earnest throwback to to something you know yeah but with like some solid like chunky groove and bass lines they're going like oh yeah no i know exactly what haircut that bassist has is it like the the 21st century non-ironic mullet but like the ironic non-ironic mullet no it's it's like the the whole swept up thing it's buzzed on the sides it's swept up and swept all the way back for a while uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Yeah. Kind of that high fade with extra length on top. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of extra length, but glossy, you know? Yeah, some hair I mean, product it, you, you said You said rockabilly, and I just immediately was thinking about that. I would have said, I would have mentioned the haircut no matter what happened next in the conversation. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> well, you know, we've talked about haircuts before, I feel. Uh... Though more in relation to uh, pro cycling, really. Do you ever you ever sometimes find yourself watching a bike race and thinking, like, man, the racers have gotten like done up for this bike race. Uh you know, I hadn't thought about that because I I notice it on like the podium. It seems like some of them go back there and and they have some kind of personal stylist waiting for them. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, they get out there, and they've been wearing a helmet for, you know, depending on the event, it's been an hour or, like, five hours. Like, there's no way your hair is that perfect. Right. After five hours under a helmet. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just an Italian thing. Maybe it's or a Euro thing in general. Maybe, like, that's just something they know how to do. 
I mean, if it's part of your job, looking good is part of it too, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think the the most amazing thing to be about kind of being pro and like being being the kind of pro who can win races but you know doesn't necessarily go into any every single day you know as a top favorite like say you're you're i don't know you're like a Joano Freda with the Tour de France mm-hmm. someone like that who like you know there's a good chance this guy could win a stage like under the right circumstances like it could happen but you can't count on it right and yet like these guys, I think the part of what's so admirable, or I don't know, admirable, why we admire it anyway, is that they're just, they are so ready for the moment. Mm-hmm. And it may never come. <laughs> but it's like you have to be ready. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't go into a race like the Tour de France if you think you might have a shot at a stage. Or maybe even if you don't think you realistically have a shot. You don't go in with, like, some crappy, you know haircut some, from some twelve dollar your neighbor haircut. no no you get a sick fade yeah, yeah maybe a little bit of coloring yeah and you have you have like some product in your jersey pocket definitely some product and and a comb just like ready to go ready to go so I, i've also noticed like you know you see i see uh in in track racing, like when I'm watching World Cups and World Championships, some of the women are like, they've got their nails done. Some have a little bit of makeup on. Maybe, I think, I don't really know. I can't necessarily identify that. But but they look like like put together the same way that when all those pictures are coming out, like first day of the Tour de France, like those dudes are looking like like dressed to the nines, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. I think I, I have noticed that about about women cycling. But, you know, it's I think, uh, I think that just because... Uh, People are athletes doesn't mean that they want to, you know, be whatever in touch with their stylish aspects or, you know, to be, you know, being an athlete doesn't mean they can't feel like being feminine. And for sure. I don't know. I think I, 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 sometimes it seems like we react with surprise to that. And maybe it's not that surprising. Like, if that's... It seems like if that's what you do, that's probably what you'll do. And if that's not what you do, because, like, you know, some women do that and some don't. Just, like, some men get their hair done nice and some don't. And, uh... I don't know. Oh, you know, 32 years in, I actually finally figured out my hair, so... <laughs> maybe it's, like, the excitement. I'm like, I was like, oh, wait, I know what to do now. Yeah, I know how to ask a barber for something that looks good on me. Well, and it's like, I also know how to, like, maintain it in public in a way that continues looking good. Like, I know what to put in it. You use product? I do. I do now. I do what do you, use What do product. you use? I'm curious. Uh, well, currently, currently I'm using uh, Woody Styling Cream, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, it's a pretty classy thing. I, I think in general I'm like a styling cream and or pomade kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, a little stiffer, um, not a wax or anything, but, right. you know, give it a little shine. Give mm-hmm. it a little, uh, uh, you know... Pleasant cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. You know, I, I similarly, the last couple of years, I've been experimenting with hair product and a good barber. Uh, and it's taken me a while to figure out what works for my hair, but I'm, I'm like, I'm like honing it in, but it's definitely, yeah, yeah like I'm in my thirties. I'm finally figuring out how to like, I have, I, I think we're similar that we have hair that's like not particularly combable. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. just, you can't just run a comb through this stuff oh, and if expect you, if it you to put like, a- yeah. If you put a comb, it's all it's all over. Like just <laughs> cut it all off and, and start again. You're you're done. 
You're mm-hmm. Frizz, Frizz City, man. Yeah. The split end central. Barreling down the tracks toward um, bad hair lane. <laughs> so if, if any of our listeners are new, we should assure you that this is indeed the Honest Bicycle program. And yes, this is what happens on this bicycle podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about hair. Uh, we, we talk about, I don't know, our hair, mm-hmm. cyclist hair, helmet hair, uh, leg hair, I guess. I just shave that stuff off. Yeah, yeah, me too. I use I use electrics though. I use an electric thing because I saw I saw uh, in two thousand eight or so I saw a Sunday in Hell for the first time, mm-hmm. and I saw um, oh my goodness, what's his name? Uh, uh, Roger Devlamink mm-hmm. shaving his legs with an electric razor. I said. If it's good enough for Mr. Par Roubaix, <laughs> it's good enough for me. Uh, a teammate tried to get me on using an epilator. Hmm. Which, it's got, like, these rolling... It's got this rolling barrel, and inside the rolling barrel are these, like, essentially tiny little barrels that work like tweezers, right? So when it rolls, it... it these things, you know, move, and they pinch and pull. Oh, that's like... But that's that sounds like, like a real mower for... Like your hair, it's you, you know like it's incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, I found it to be terrible. And well, I don't it's know literally plucking your hairs out. Yeah, and I I Ugh. I will say that I have a reasonably uh, high tolerance for pain and discomfort, um, mm-hmm. to the point of liking some of it. Uh, I'm a bike racer, I guess, but, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, had me a little nervous there. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I just, I couldn't. Part of the problem is I was inflicting that upon myself. You know, I'm the one holding the thing, and it's hard to, like, <sighs> anyway. Uh, I feel, that, I feel that physical pain and, and suffering in a bike race, despite what some people say, are categorically different. Oh, yeah, I'd agree with you on that one. But, anyway. That's just that's just my <laughs> that's just my take on that. But that's not what we're here to talk about tonight. I don't think. I mean, there's always something interesting to talk about. Well, <laughs> some may disagree, but I think there's usually something to dis- interesting to talk about. Let's uh, let's find let's find know. that thing. What's uh, what's going on with you? And now that uh, now now that this time of year, this is your time to shine, Greg. <laughs> Yeah, that's the idea. It isn't. It isn't quite going that way, <laughs> but no, it's getting better. Yeah. So I just, um, I don't know. I was just thinking about about when you're trying to like change what you're doing and and adopt a new routine to, you know, improve yourself in some way. And that might be like you know, in this case, right, getting faster and better at bikes. But you know, also in general, I suppose mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about it with respect to bikes. But I've been, I just, I'm tired. Because I just flipped my schedule around in the last week completely, where I was theoretically getting up and, um, excuse me, doing some core work, uh, little exercises. Um, in practice, that wasn't really happening. And, and then in the evening after work, I would get on my bicycle often at work, 
more recently I was coming home to the trainer or something, which was problematic because I, I now don't work that close to home anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I realized that if I was going to fit this stuff in and make it work, I pretty much had to finally accept that I, I need to get up early and ride my bike and come home and do whatever my exercise routine is in, in order to make especially, uh, especially the latter happen, but also to make the former happen more reliably. And it's hard. It's very hard. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's tough when it doesn't easily fit into the, you know, your new schedule. And it doesn't easily fit into the way my, like the way I work as a person, right? Like I've never been a morning person. It's not mm-hmm. natural for me to get up early. I hate it. Um, mm-hmm. I feel sluggish and, and tired and it takes me a long time to wake up mm-hmm. fully. Um, so it's... It's very difficult, and of course, you know, when you get up and it's dark out, um, that's that can be kind of demotivating. So, uh, it's it's not easy, right? And then on top of that, with me trying to like seriously integrate some some strength training, uh, that's difficult for uh, the other another reason, which is that you know I don't know about you, but like I've been riding bikes for a while and training on some level not always super effectively and in fact that's part of my problem right now is like i haven't uh trained effectively this year yet but we're, we're gonna get there um but like i basically know what i'm doing and it's like i can go out and i can do some intervals and like i know how that works and i can pedal um but like picking up pieces of metal and putting them down and and kind of putting my body in like postures and moving it uh while just stationary on the floor in mm-hmm. some way uh, I find that really awkward. Really? Yeah, well, it's, I don't know, I kind of don't know what I'm doing, you know, so I'm still learning the form, and, um, it's not like I'm taking classes at, at the gym or something, because, uh, I, I feel like, both in terms of time and money, that I can't really support that. hmm Um, so it's like, I've got to get it through, like, my friend, and, and the internet, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's difficult, and the re- the reason this came up... To make a long story short, is is it became clear in in the first um, few races of this cross season that while uh, I had been doing a pretty good job of building up like an endurance base, uh, especially considering that I started late, uh, listeners might recall that I basically broke my hip, um, which was not fun, uh, and I thought that was kind of better, but it wasn't entirely. Um, cyclocross requires a lot more torque than road riding does, so you can kind of hide from that on the road. But you can't hide from it in a cross race with a giant run-up. Mm-hmm. And it turned out, aside from like the hip, just in general, I don't have the strength anywhere in my body to support that kind of torque for any amount of time. And so I'm just falling apart. Like, my back is killing me, my hips are killing me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I can't pedal at threshold... Very quickly because my muscles are literally too, too tired mm-hmm. to do it. So I end up riding around at tempo, being sad and slow. <laughs> yeah, it's Aww. not great. Uh, so so basically, it became a crisis that I need to now, you know, take more seriously. Despite having known that I need to do this for for a while, but uh, yeah, it's it's sort of a crisis situation. Uh, but you know, I understand you've been doing. 
not just pedaling your bike around for a while. So I don't know. I kind of wonder what you think about doing that. Yeah, I, um, when I started, and this is perhaps like four years ago, I started trying to be like a good cat too, you know, instead of just getting a little bit better by accident, I like sat down, thought about things, made a plan and tried some new stuff, you know, and that's, that's the time when I, when I figure that I, uh, sort of page turn for me for bike racing. You know, I was going to, I was going to go to the track national championships. I wanted to win elite track races, that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured that, you know, being a little bit small and underpowered. Yeah. I needed some more, uh, strength in order to make more power. There are, there are a lot of ways to make power. Um, but I felt like I was lacking in sort of the, the, the foundation, the base, that's just pure strength, right? So a lot of people, you, you know, think of base as, like, aerobic base, and I felt like I needed a greater strength base. Um, fortunately, this coincided with a friend needing to store his squat rack in my basement. <laughs> yeah, that's handy. And, uh, yeah, and so, I mean, one of the best ways to force yourself to lift three times a week throughout a fall and winter is to, you know, have miserable weather that makes riding difficult and to have the squat rack 20 feet away from you. Right. Um, and it was also, you know, kind of lifting and learning with a couple friends at the time, which really helped. You know, we were talking about how to squat and sort of things that we were finding and learning as we were doing this. Um, and I, I probably wouldn't have, I definitely would not have done it as much or learned as much if I had to like go to a gym at some point during my weekly routine Mm. is how I see it. That was definitely an issue where like convenience was a huge factor for me. Um, yeah, but I also think that, you know, that, that first year that I lifted really helped me get to another level uh, the next year. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, an exponential jump, but it was a decided notch up for me. Right, right. Well, yeah, that's the kind of thing I'm trying to do. And, and you know, we've talked about this before. Like, I've, I've had it on my mind for kind of a while, but I hadn't really got religion about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that uh, we might be a little bit alike in that yeah, convenience is important. Um, it's difficult. It can be difficult to get past the the little obstacles sort of uh, psychological in the sense of not being necessarily afraid as such, but finding it difficult to go and 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 start something if it's not if the means to do so aren't directly in front of you mm-hmm. you know yeah there's like that friction yeah and even if they are right in front of you like there's a sense in which it's not right in front of you like the expertise you know isn't there like like i don't know what i'm doing what exercises should i do you know yeah so i don't know if maybe a year ago we had a similar conversation. Did I send you some resources and some thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Oh, okay. You did. Cool. You did. Yeah, I got the 
still have that uh, book, and mm-hmm. that's interesting. Though, though, right now it looks like what I'm doing is mostly, uh, mostly kind of core focused, and, and not like doing like squats with big weights right now, but really mm-hmm. trying to establish like a routine that is, you know, some weights, but like some free weights, basically handheld barbells and mm-hmm. medicine ball and and that kind of stuff, and flopping around like a fish on yeah. my living room floor. Uh, which you can still uh really uh do a lot for yourself and make yourself very tired doing that but it's been yeah it's hard because it's it's like i'm realizing you know having right so two years ago i had a really great season as a cat three i didn't (laughs) annoyingly i came very close to winning races a few times but but didn't quite make it happen but i got i got my points i upgraded to cat two um and just immediately hit a brick wall mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons. But, you know, as a, as a Cat 3, it was relatively simple just to be pretty fit. And, and also, I, I accumulated injuries over time that I kind of just got good enough, you know, got well enough without really um, fixing them fully. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I did PT, I didn't, I didn't kind of stick with the stuff I had to do. Um, but yeah, that stuff adds up, and and we've talked before about how you know we're not twenty two anymore, and you know thirty two years old isn't isn't old, but uh, it's certainly it's certainly there's a noticeable difference in my ability to bounce back from things. Yeah, and so the the only way to compensate is to actually take seriously something I've I've never really taken that seriously before, and I I can't really. Uh overstate how how helpful i think it is to for a lot of people to do some basic strength work and because there there are a bunch of different benefits you know uh doing weighted squats does great things for your core it can sort of stimulate a whole bunch of other um Mm -hmm. muscle gains that sort of the strength that leads to force production can like raise your threshold even though you're not doing anything aerobic um there and the, the sort of just the different kind of uh, strength that it developed is so unlike what people get from riding their bike. And it's such a sort of excellent all around and often really good feeling kind of strength mm. that uh, I, I personally really like it. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing some more of it uh, very soon as well. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll start thinking about adding more weights in kind of my off season period. Mm-hmm. You know, right now it might be right now it might be a bit much, but but yeah, it's 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 good. I'm, I I've heard really good things, you know, from you and from other people saying like, yeah, man, when I got serious about getting in the gym, I put on like sixty watts, and you know, who knows if that's uh, uh, <laughs> my future, but. Um, certainly, you know, it seems like you know the ability to do force production is is important and. You and me are both pretty small, slender uh, people by just kind of our natural build, um, mm-hmm. and and I don't I don't really know exactly. I you know I haven't examined you closely, <laughs> 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 but but you know I do not. I am both short and and small and and don't tend to naturally put on muscle like some people do, and I just am you know, very slender, um, in most, uh, most parts of my body. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
So I was, too. I mean, I was looking at some pictures a few weeks ago on Facebook, and I saw a picture of me racing bikes, I don't know, five or six years ago. And I was, like, I was pretty skinny. And I'm, I'm like, slim now or whatever. But, but I was, like, skinny, and my legs were skinny, and I realized that that's not what my body is shaped like anymore. And I think a, a couple off-seasons of steady weightlifting has, like, added weight in my thighs and butt. That yeah. uh, that I just didn't didn't really have before. Um, yeah. It's funny, just 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 the just you know, it's been about mm, five years since I started making more of an effort to actually train, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that 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 itself has changed my body pretty noticeably mm-hmm. in that time. But yeah, could be who knows? Maybe there's more on the horizon. I don't know. I don't you know. I don't know. I, I'm not too concerned about that part. We'll see. I mean, it it feels good. Oh, so here's here's something. Speaking of which, here's something strange that happened to me a few weeks ago as I was meeting somebody for happy hour. Uh huh. Um, This is an unusual experience for me. It's not that unusual experience for some other people. And you'll see where I'm going in just a moment. Uh, I rode my bike to a bar. It was like five or six p.m. Um. And I locked up and I walked across the street to the bar and I kind of did the walk across the street. Like, you know, when there's a car at an intersection and you go like, I'm just going to take my time with this walk across the street because I know that you're impatient, but I've got the right of way. Mm-hmm. I did one of those. And as I was crossing the street, then the, the car went to go, you know, sort of behind me in the space I'd vacated. And a woman leaned out of the car and yelled that ass, though, at me. <laughs> you got objectified. I got catcalled. And that's just... I'm not really sure I've ever gotten catcalled before by a woman. Hmm. hmm. How did that make you feel? Um, I mean, because it was like a novelty, I didn't feel like, you know, systematically threatened by, uh... The way that I think you know men calling men men cat calling women oh yeah feels right yeah 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 you you, you know you know where I'm going with that I know um, you're going with that yeah this, but, let's not extrapolate from our experience of what it's like to ex- exactly exactly um, yeah mostly just a sort of strange unusual unusual feeling mm, interesting yeah interesting. I, I I I might have had that happen at some point, but maybe not. I don't know. Can't remember. Maybe it was just a dream. I don't know. Uh, I certainly can't remember a specific incident. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's a, that's the thing. That's that's the thing I'm thinking about, and, and just you know, changing, just trying to add, trying to do something different. You know, when mm-hmm. when you've been doing something the same way for a long time, and and say like, okay, like if I'm going to make this happen, um, this being, you know, I I want to be a good local elite cross racer you know Mm -hmm. i don't want to just be back of the pack Mm -hmm. all the time and road racer too like you know i'd I'd like to be too and and there are things that you know i think do work against us a little bit like that can read as it can be an excuse i'm not trying to make an excuse and i was just talking to my friend uh uh aaron facone last night yeah you know we're buds whatever me and aaron (laughs) (laughs) efac um but no, she, she was saying that, um, you know, shorter people 
this is apparently something that that uh, is kind of known, which I didn't know, and I haven't looked it up yet, so I don't know. But that uh, shorter people need more watts per kilo to be successful than taller people. Like they don't get as much out of the watts per kilo that they have. Um, I totally feel this. Um, and yeah. we're, and we're, and we're not talking about going uphill. No. Where, where, where just watts per kilo. Yeah. That'll, that'll take care of things basically. In um, theory anyway. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that it, it doesn't, it's not like going uphill. Like, right. Anyway, go on. Um, but, but yeah, like in order to make speed, uh, we need, I mean, and it's hard to talk about like watts per CDA or like all, all this other stuff that sort of gets a little bit complicated, but I think there's a sort of a, a funny, like proportional more that we need. And, you know, one of the reasons is like, you know, why are good time trial riders big? It's because they have these bigger muscles and they can generate all this force and they can turn it into speed and they hold the speed, right? Like inertia is speed times mass and they have more of it. So as the air is trying to slow them down, they have all this like greater mass at this speed that's resisting them slowing down. Right. And that's why all these like good classics riders are these like, you know, Dutch giants. Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah. You know, something similar goes for cross where you've got a lot of this sort of built in resistance. So, so cross is an interesting example. And, and I think that's a, a place where you can actually compensate a bit more for it in some ways. Uh, I can come back to that in a sec. I, I'm not sure whether it was because I'd thought about, I've been thinking about this in terms of kind of mass for a while. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about it in terms of height. And I don't know if there is, if it's like strictly height um, or strictly mass or some combination of both. Like I, I'd have to, um, look into it, um, in terms of like, is there something that is just to do with height that would explain some of it? Hmm. Because the example that I got was, um, you know, there's some riders who are quite tall, who are very successful on much lower power to weight than you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, in, in, in the sport like cyclocross, you know, included where, um, you know, on the road, you can you can hide somewhat, um, and in cyclocross, you really can't. Like cyclocross isn't a time trial, but uh, you know, power to weight is more important in more scenarios. I think mm-hmm. in cyclocross, if that makes sense. And uh, and to to get back to what I was saying earlier about you being able to compensate somewhat in cross, um, off road, in general, being light is helpful in a few specific areas uh those being uh to some extent i think my understanding is 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 that i believe your rolling resistance is lower if you're uh, light if you're lighter because you've got less deflection of the tire less normal force I, i could be wrong about that but that's kind of my intuitive understanding is that um you've got you know, less rolling resistance, that could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly you can run lower pressures and still be at a similar rolling resistance. And that, that brings me to the other part, which is that you have a very, a very real cornering advantage at a lighter weight in cyclocross. See, I've always uh, struggled with cornering anyway in cyclocross. So I'm just wondering, uh, well, line choice and, and, and skill is still paramount. <laughs> oh, shots fired. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not, <laughs> that wasn't yeah, Matteo. Skill is still paramount, so no matter how short you get, that was meant without without. Oh God! 
Uh, see, the problem is that you and I both know that I'm a little bit better around corners than you are, but I didn't. I wasn't thinking about that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm great at, at left turns. <laughs> left turns. Left turns are okay. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. What is it about right turns? Do you think? I don't know. I haven't practiced any on the velodrome. Mm, oh, I see. I see. I, I see actually have anyway. raced some backwards races. Right. Don't recommend but yeah, it. But yeah. But yeah. Between like. Probably you you probably just carrying around a, a larger body helps you have stronger muscles in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like so. Yeah, it's it's a thing that it's a thing that we kind of have to deal with to some extent anyway, and it's one that I'd really uh, neglected. So I'm trying to I'm trying to turn over a new leaf, but it means I'm getting up at um, quarter to six right now, and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's rough. It's it's pretty bad. But uh, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know? But yeah, you know, and, and I think that, that the gym work will pay off. And, and hopefully it's fun, too. Um, eventually, perhaps. Yeah, eventually. Um, when you start, you know, lifting some heavy stuff. Nothing necessarily super grueling. But, you know, it, it does release endorphins. and it. Uh, you know, when I've, when I've been able to commit myself to even a basic core program for like two or three weeks at a time, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have noticed a benefit. Like it, 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 it happens pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's easier to hop things. Mm-hmm. Like I've noticed this off road, it's easier to hop your bike over things. You know, you have more control of the bike. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, I'll be able to add in things like running up run ups and not immediately dying. <laughs> uh, it, it seems like people do do running to some extent in their cross training, and seeing as I am unbelievably slow. When I run in cross races, it's something I should consider. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yep. I think I think you know you're at the point where, like, yeah, you wanna you wanna get better, and it's gonna take some hard work. But some of some of that hard work is going to get you sort of over a hump, and get you there, and that'll be separate from you know the uh, the other stuff that you'll need to do in order to sort of maintain and and uh, and continue to improve. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully both, you know, help me help me recover from various injuries that I've dealt with, like the hip. Like I'm not sure I mentioned this. Um, the the fit the bike fit saga I had this summer because I was stupid. Yeah, uh, well, you you did mention yeah some some small adjustments and some major pain. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I basically was too stretched out on the bike, and I'm pretty sure that I was compressing nerves in my spine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still, that's still, uh, that's getting better. I think. I think that's getting better. Uh, but, but that really caused me some problems um, in terms of <laughs> force production and not having my right uh, foot and hand go numb. Um, yeah. When trying to go hard, uh, yeah, that was not great. So, so the all these things, you know, both both healing from those and and to protect myself, hopefully from further injury down the road, uh, seems valuable. Turns out a big part of going fast is not continually getting hurt and yes. not fixing it. So, can't recommend that. Over the last few years, that's been kind of my my story, and it sucks. All right, enough about me. We've been talking about me a lot. Um, and honestly, I, I, who really cares except for me? Um, <laughs> I mean, I so, care. Oh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate uh, that. I, I bought a new bike. 
Oh, you bought a very, very cool looking, uh, was it a, it's a, it's a track bike, of course. I did. Yeah, you want to tell me about it? I do, I do. So, uh, let's see, just to, just to get our, our, our listeners sort of full, full bit of context here, I started racing bikes on a 40-year-old steel track frame, um, and then due to a funny windfall, um, got my hands on a felt TK2 that I raced for a number of years up until I was a cat too. Uh, and then, um, you know, our, our team was supported by a specialized dealer. So I used a specialized Langster pro for a number of years. Um, and then I sort of wanted to change things up just a little bit last year. So I picked up a planet X pro carbon track frame, um, which I raced this past year and it was, it was fine. Um, and I probably would have been content to continue using it. But when I was racing bikes in L.A., I saw somebody uh, selling a TMIR track bike in my size. And so the the the, the long version or the or no, rather the abbreviated history of TMIR is that uh, I don't exactly know when Dave TMIR started building bikes at some point in the 90s. Um, if you've ever seen old pictures of Team USA GT bikes from the 90s, those are actually built by Dave Tiemeyer, um with his, some of his sort of signature stylings. Um, and so, so Tiemeyer's were the, the super bike of the U.S. national track team, at, you know, at some of the Olympics in the 90s. And, you know, they have their aluminum and they have these, you know, gigantic down tubes and seat tubes and all this aero styling and, and all this really cool stuff. Um, and when I started racing track bikes and started learning about track bike racing, I definitely noticed that TMIR seemed to be really like the bike of choice. And we're talking about, I don't know, you know, late 2000 aughts, right? 08, 09, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. It was like the bike of choice for the the fast riders, the riders who would travel to races or go to the national championships or this and that. And as I got a little bit better and I started to sort of pay more attention, I mean, that only became more and more true. Like if you were serious about racing track and, and you were in the United States, uh, you probably very much considered a TMI or, you know, bought one, had one. They're, they're, they were probably for a bunch of years uh, the most popular bike at the national championships or thereabouts. Um, and I, I always knew this and I always knew that they were really good. And, you know, I had a teammate who had a couple TMIRs and would see them around at the track. I would see, uh, you know, some of the older ones with the one inch head tubes and steel forks, or I would see ones when, um, when Dave TMIR was building them and, and using, uh, Reynolds track forks. And then later on he was using, uh, edge and envy track forks for a little while, um, but he, uh, Dave Tiemeyer closed up shop fairly, fairly, I don't know, quickly or, or suddenly, um, several years ago, maybe, maybe 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. um, just kind of suddenly sent out an email to some shops that were, you know, were buying from him and said, you know, I'm, I'm moving him, selling my equipment. That's it. Um, and it was too bad because you know, not only were these extremely popular and extremely good bikes, um, they're also a really, uh, great value. You know, I mean, he would send detailed spec sheets, include a fitting. He had, 
uh, stock geometry. He would do custom geometry. He had sprint and pursuits and mass start geometries. Um, so it was really like something for everybody. And, and, and it showed, you know, I mean, sprinters use TMIers, pursuiters use TMIers, enduros use TMIers. Um, yeah, they're really, really, really cool bikes. And so right as right around the time when I was like finishing grad school, starting to get a job, starting to take everything seriously, maybe could have afforded one was uh, when he closed up shop. And I've, and I've always considered them considered TMI to be sort of a dream bike. Uh, you know, I mean, as you know, and as many of our listeners know, like track is the discipline that I'm serious about. It's the one that I am good at. Uh, and if you're going to buy like, you know, a bike, right? You know, like the bike that you want for the discipline that you want to race. Like for me, this was always it. And I've, I've always been looking around for a TMI that fits me and as luck would find it, you know, as luck would have it, I, I found one at the end of the season. Unfortunately, I took possession of it a half an hour before I was leaving to race my last race of the season up at the casino velodrome. Um, so I couldn't build it up and race it, uh, in time. Um, but it is built up and it's in my basement and, and I'm looking at a picture of it right now and man, is it cool. Yeah. I saw a picture. It looks pretty, pretty cool. It's so congrats on, on your T Meyer. Thanks man. Sometimes, sometimes you get that, sometimes you get that bike that, you know, you've, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just a special bike, whether it's been one you've wanted for a while or one that, just caught your eye and you have to have and you know usually usually it's a passing thing um or or it's just something you're like well that's cool but i can never have one but you know i feel like i feel like we've both been able to have those those moments in the last few years i got my my richie swiss cross yeah a few years ago which um i still really like uh i have i have some complaints i have some complaints it's true no no bike is perfect Nothing is so perfect it can't be criticized, but mm-hmm. uh, but really like that bike. And you've got your TMIR. Now you can uh, experience the TMIR-ness. Yeah, I'm pumped. And I was able to take it for for a, a test ride when I was in L.A. before I, uh, before I, before I committed to it. Oh, good. And, and it just felt great. It just felt so awesome. Yeah, it just feels just, you're just like, ah, oh, yes. Oh, and here's the other cool part of the story. You know, I wanted, uh, I wanted, I knew that... Um, there are these detailed TMIR spec sheets for each bike. You know, I've, I've seen these for other frames that I was considering and ultimately decided, you know, wouldn't, weren't right for me for one reason or another. Um, and the seller of the bike told me that, uh, he had bought it from so-and-so, um, but that he didn't have the spec sheet. So I was able to find a contact email for, Dave Tiemeyer, you know, it's like something at AOL.com, right? And, and Mm -hmm. he's, you know, four or five years out from closing up shop on his business or more. But I thought I'll give this a shot. So I emailed him and said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about buying a bike that you originally built for so-and-so. Um, do you by any chance still keep records and could you send me a spec sheet? And he responded 14 minutes later saying, I built three bikes for that person. Here are the serial numbers for each. The first was this. The second two were this. Uh, let me know what the serial number is, and I can send you the correct spec sheet. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What customer service that is 
yeah. the guy who doesn't even run a, a, a frame building business anymore. Yeah. Or a bike company anymore. That's yeah. uh that's that's sick. Yeah. So I assume you got your spec sheet. I got my spec sheet and it it sort of it confirmed uh confirmed some things for me about the bike. You know, mm. it, was, it was after I'd taken it for a test spin, but I was still thinking, like, all right, am I going to be able to set it up in ways that are going to solve, like, minor fit or setup issues that I've had on other bikes? Yeah, and yeah, And yeah. I looked at it, I, you know, crunched the numbers, sort of compared the stack and reach and a couple other things to uh, to some of the other frames that I have experience with, and I was like, yep, this is going to go good. Nice. That's, like, more short people problems. Yeah. With, with bikes. That's, that's, that's an interesting thing with cross bikes, too. A lot of them are... Um, very long, which is a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real, it's a real challenge. It's, it's, uh, it'd be one thing if I had like super long arms. I have relatively, I, I have fairly normal proportions. Uh, you know, it's not like I have super short legs or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I don't have super long arms, and so anyway, that's not very interesting. Uh, bikes, man. That's really great. I'm really, I'm really glad you were able to make that happen. So, okay. Um, we should, uh, we've got a few little things, a few little things we should maybe cover in addition to bike stuff. So, so Cross is, Cross is here. Cross is like legitimately here. Yeah, there's actual cycle Cross happening now, uh, which is pretty great. So, boy, a few things... <sighs> a few things happened in Cross. I'd say Rochester happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, first C1 of the season in the United States. Uh, and uh, then, uh, holy crap, a World Cup happened, didn't it? In the, in the dang old United States. In the dang old United States. And we have another one coming up this weekend. But, but, Which is just uh, super cool. A, yeah, it's amazing. Two world, so, two World Cups in the United States. And this so this happened last was, was it so you know yeah, originally last year. Cross Vegas was a World Cup and then they did Cross Vegas and Jingle Cross. Yeah. And this yeah. year it's Jingle Cross and a Trek Cup up in Wisconsin. So it's not yeah. like you know, it, it's still I think it's still very fresh and cool feeling that there are World Cups in the USA. And for me, I find it particularly special cuz you know, even though I'm not much of a cross racer, I've raced the Jingle Cross course, I know those grounds. And so to see the best people in the world race that course is so satisfying. It's and the just best, so awesome. And the best people in the world have said how hard that course is. Yeah. How seriously, oh, that climb and everything. And it's, and it's probably harder if you're even better because that means that your, your, um, your flat parts, your descents, all those are going by faster, right? So you've mm-hmm. got less recovery before these very difficult uphills. Yeah, well, and you've got to be able to handle your bike at those higher speeds, and yeah, yeah. it's it's not it's not as simple as just pedaling harder in cyclocross. Yeah, yeah, you have to go around the turns at a high higher speed too. So, and down the down the hills, and that descent <laughs> at uh, Jingle Cross is pretty scary. It's so. It's. It's so steep, and and you can see it. You know, if if you go back and you watch the footage. And sometimes there's, like, a direct profile shot, and you can see, like, the downhill angle of it. Um, but it's so hard that I, like, as a, you know, Cat 2 crosser, like, I had a hard time completing that turn. And, yeah, you know, I, I raced it when it was, like, really slick and slippery, but 
you know, that turn, like, directly across a steep fall line, like, I felt like I was going to just fall off my bike. Yeah. Like, the wrong way, you know, like, over the handlebars. Right. Right. Um, and then to see, I think it was, like, on the first turn, um, Mod Captains was, like, leading it, and then Ava Lechner just, like, sliced and diced her on the first turn and took it, like, so fast. It... it <laughs> Just the, the, like, incredible superior bike handling was just, like, mind-blowing. Yeah, they're pretty good at it, as it turns out. So you had a few notes. I haven't gotten... I've been... You know, like I said, uh, I've been flipping my schedule. I've been super busy. I'm burning the candle at both ends. I have not had a chance Mm -hmm. to see the World Cup. But I see you have some comments, so I, I don't know if you have anything you want to say. Yeah, uh, I have a little bit knowledge of what happened. But, so the, uh, the you know the yeah. the first notable thing is that in the men's race, which um, was sort of amazing but boring, um, Matthew Vanderpool took the whole shot, led the entire race, and won by you know a minute or something. And we've seen him make these sort of tape to tape victories before, and. Mm-hmm. With him, I, I just feel like, in a way that's, you know, really different from Wild Van Art, we're seeing, like, the making of a of a cyclocross legend. I think he could be on his way to, like, the best cyclocross racer ever. Um, he never looks like he's in control, but he makes so few mistakes, and he's just so fast and so good that if he races for 10 or 15 years and nothing cataclysmic happens, I mean... Yeah, I, I think he could eclipse riders like Mariana Voss and Sven Nice in, in position in this sport. Yeah, I mean, that depends on whether he sticks with cyclocross or goes to the road. It um, does. Or mountain biking, for that matter, which he's taking more seriously, too, because I, I think because uh, he sees it as his shot at an Olympic ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of people want to do that. So, um, yeah, and it's it's... I think honestly, Dutch getting on the Dutch national mountain biking team is probably less competitive than getting on the Dutch national road team. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, whether he'll he'll stick with cross the whole time um, on a full time basis, we don't know. But yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. I, I mean, what's fascinating about it is that Wout is so good, you know, that without Vanderpool. Hmm. We'd be talking about Wout like he was this singular, once-in-a-generation talents. And he he is, except that there's this other guy who is, uh, in some ways, even better. I I have to say, I think we've discussed this before, um, I am more of a Wout fan than a Vanderpool fan. I mean, I I like them both, um, but but honestly, there's something, I don't know, I, I... the the way I guess I just like the very uh, cool and controlled um, way that Wout rides and the fact that he seems like a chill dude and and um, he's like he's like an old man in a way yeah uh, way before his time um, but I don't know I like that uh, so so I like Wout a lot um, and, and and tend to root for him. Um, and, and I do think that uh, kind of cooler head is what has carried him to two world championships over versus 
versus Vanderpool's one, but, uh, you know, who knows how long he's going to have that to hold over. Yeah. Vanderpool, who is just so insanely good at everything he does. Um, and, and yeah, and the fact that, the fact that he just doesn't look like he looks like he's about to crash at all times. Uh, and yet he's, he, he doesn't generally. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. I, I do love the fact that, you know, this, it's been, it's been in the making for several years, this rivalry between the two of them. Um, and they're, they're such a like perfectly distinct pair of riders, you know, one is very mechanical and focused and the other, it looks like he's about to skid is probably about to tail whip, um, is riding stiff armed and doesn't look particularly good on the bike. You know, they're yeah, like, that is the thing that amazes me is how does how does he do any of that stuff? His position looks so bad. His he's it's like his elbows are locked. Um, he's got a huge amount of saddle to bar drop. Bar drop. I mean, that's just part of being tall and skinny. There's a there's um, a TV show. Really I don't long arms. But. Yeah, there's a TV show. I don't know if it's Dutch or Belgian. I I can't remember the name offhand. Um, but it's like a it's a documentary about all these young cross racers you know this this crop of 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 young guys um and there's a scene where they're you know the show is sort of cutting from one to the next getting ready and you see wow like in his camper um talking with you know his coach or swanier and they're sort of like talking through the course or whatever and then it cuts to Vanderpool in the camper, and he's, like, listening to hip-hop in his underwear. He's, like, bouncing around. He's jamming out. Yeah. It's, like, it, like, perfectly encapsulates, you know, the difference between how these two uh, work. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's pretty funny. So uh, you also have a note about Ellen Noble bunny-hopping the barriers. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was cut. so cool to see. And, and I, I, you know, I it... You you told me later that, you know, she's been doing this in some other local races. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, she's been working on... I mean, this didn't come out of nowhere. She's been working on this for a while. Yeah. So so if you're in the know, you know this. Um, and I wasn't in the know. Yeah. And so I just saw her in the lead group, um, you know, a group of, of 10 or 12. And I saw her hop the barriers. And I thought it was so cool. And I... And I I saw it not just executed as a point of skill, but done to very effectively close some gaps that it opened up. Yes, yes. Um, so what's so okay? So I have firsthand experience with Ellen Bunny hopping the barriers uh, because I I think I might have mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago that I ended up riding around on her wheel for a couple laps at this local race, and I do mean on her wheel. She was killing me. Uh, and on, on like, I had like my carbon wheels and my clinchers, not clinchers, my tubulars and, and everything. And she was on, on clinchers and had like ridden down, uh, <laughs> you know, from all the way to Springfield from like East Hampton or whatever, um, or West Hampton, North Hampton, whatever. Um, and, um, you know, it was probably like deep into a training block and all that crap. <laughs> We'd go into these loamy corners and it'd be like, oh God, she's so good at this. Uh, just open up gaps on me and um, we get we get to the barriers uh, and there was this one particular set of barriers it was like a barrier and a 180 and then another barrier because this is a weird funky 
kind of ridiculous course. And then it was like a slight uphill out of the barriers. And uh, she was ahead of me. She'd go and she'd bunny hop them. Uh, she'd bunny hop the first one. Maybe it was even a pair. But she'd bunny hop the first barrier. I'd catch her going around the tree as I was running, of course. And, <laughs> and, and pass her going over the last one. And then she would hop the last one, and she would slay me on that climb. <laughs> like, she was killing me, and I'd have to dig so hard to get back onto her wheel. Like, that's that's the benefit, right, of bunny hopping the barriers. And you know what, what's funny about it is I generally haven't been in a race um, where the people I'm riding in a group with are doing that. Mm-hmm. Because usually the people I'm riding with are at around my skill level. Uh, and Ellen is not at my skill level. She is far, far above it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the circumstances of the day had her riding in a group with you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I got to experience the pain that is, <laughs> you know, when, when someone is able to, to hop the barriers, right? What people, do, uh, I hope, understand about um, bunny hopping barriers is that it's not that it's faster going over the barriers. It's that you don't have to remount mm-hmm. and clip in and start pedaling again. Like, that's where you lose the speed, is not the running. It's the remounting. Yeah. Because you're not putting any power on the ground during that point. So you lose speed as you're remounting. Um, and, and and Because you can't hop... 40-centimeter barriers, you can't hop at um, particularly high speed. Right. Uh, uh, you have to slow down. To say, I mean, the, 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 better, the better the rider is, the faster they can do it. Mm-hmm. And some of those... Some of those, like, 20-year-old Belgians or whatever, like Vanderpool, can hop 40-centimeter barriers at about 1,000 miles per hour, and it's terrifying. Oh, it's um, that was one of the other things that I noticed from the live stream is that, yeah, so a lot of people were hopping the barriers. There were, there were two sets of them as normal. And you could tell that Vanderpool was, was faster going over them just because sort of, like, the amount of time your brain registers him being on the ground for was so small. Yeah. He was just, like, over one, over the other, whereas you would see people sort of clear one and then, like, pause and then clear the other. And there was yeah. just no pause. He was just, did these two things in one fell swoop, and it was just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, so, anyway, those of us in the know knew, like, oh, you know, Ellen's really serious about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is She is planning to unleash this skill uh, in, in races for real. Like, not just mess around, and sure enough... Uh, yeah, in the World Cup, uh, in the C1 the night before, I- at Rochester, I believe. Um, I'm not sure, actually, about that, um, but I believe so. Um, won the C1 at Rochester, by the way. It was her first C1 win, so that's pretty mm. great. A- eighth in the World Cup, like, uh, I'm just, like, the way that, you know, I- I'm going to steal this line from my friend Mike Wassell, because um, we were talking about this last night, that, you know, she's been convinced um everyone who's kind of worked on her development i think has really taken this approach of like you know it's you're not going to get faster overnight but you're going to get just a little bit better every year Mm -hmm. and she and she totally was like yeah yeah like committed Mm -hmm. to that and it's like now turning out that she's up there um all the time and it's yeah. it's very exciting because her technical skills are so good mm-hmm. um 
and it's like her engine just keeps getting better and better and it's like oh my god <laughs> look out world it's so awesome yeah and and meanwhile we also had Katie Keo uh with a seriously good ride for second place in a stacked field yeah 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 um, and she's had some great rides against uh that caliber competition before i remember her getting second in a big race and i can't remember what it was i can remember what it looks like um mm-hmm. it's a big paved climb um sorry i was literally far away far away from my mic when i said that <laughs> uh a big paved climb you mean the spa race uh, maybe you mean you mean in europe mm-hmm. yeah 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 uh, I mean, the the big paved climb that I can think of is uh, there's Ronsa. Uh, but she would she have done that? I'm not sure she's done that race. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, are you sure you aren't thinking of Valkenburg? She had a really good ride at Valkenburg like a year or two ago. Maybe it was Valkenburg, yeah. I think it was Valkenburg in the Netherlands. That had a big paved climb and a big... Uh, t- that has a lot of climbs. Mm-hmm. That course. That I'm course just, just real quick, like, checking her you know, a uh, Wikipedia page, but it is not up to date. Oh, that's unfortunate. I, f- I feel like there's, there's like, I feel like she's weirdly under the radar and I don't really know why. Yeah. Maybe it's a personality thing. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe she's a little quieter. I don't know. But anyway, but yeah, great ride. Really excited about Crossies and really excited about American cyclocross, about American women's cyclocross. Uh, I like, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty stoked on that. Uh, who won yeah. that? Uh, who won the women's race at the World Cup? I'm sorry, Katarina Nash. Who that's really, right. That's right. Really Katarina knows how Nash, to win who in just, Iowa City. Who just is not getting any slower? Nope. At any time. Amazing, amazing. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, our listeners will know that I'm not uh, uh, much of a cross racer, but I really like cyclocross as a as a bike racing fan. I'm uh, pumped to see how the uh, the Trek Cup goes down, the World Cup this weekend, and uh, you know, it turns out I'm interested to see how the season develops, especially for our uh, our Americans here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is this is you know, it's a great time of year. Yeah. What else to say? Yeah. All right, uh, I think we should wrap it up. Right about there. Do you want to quickly talk about the fact, though, that um, uh, we've been talking a little bit about pro cycling today. Um, Alberto Contador retired. Oh, we should definitely note Contador's retirement. Did you watch uh, his stage win on the Angry Lou? I I, I did not. So it it was, you know, to set the stage for our listeners who don't know it, the queen stage of the Vuelta, the second to last stage, it's his last race, or, you know, he's going to race the you know, ceremonial procession um, the next day. But uh, the queen stage, and he attacks on a descent and uh, races essentially solo up this bonkers horse category climb and uh, and wins the queen stage. And it's just great because he... Uh, he spent the whole Vuelta attacking his head off, looking for looking for that stage win. And I think that you know he uh, he was this sort of inscrutable, dominant Grand Tour winner, and then he was this doper, and then for the past few years he's just been this like 
medium he's been the entertainer. good fighter. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's been an entertainer, and he said, you know, winning matters less than racing with panache, and it sometimes that can be like a, a, a dangerous thing that people say when they don't think they're going to win. Um, you know, the sort of it's an honor just to be here kind of thing. But uh, with him, it, it really seemed legit because he would just uh, he would he he really raced with panache and uh and was a fighter and kind of fought till the end and got to retire having won a huge race in essentially his last race well yeah and and i mean honestly the thing that i i think aside from the um uh, the being a fighter and all you know never giving up and all that um kind of thing i i he's just the epitome of like a bike racer you know like i think that's really the key to both his popularity and and the successes he had later in his career when he was clearly not as fast was that he he wasn't just someone who could pedal really hard uh Mm -hmm. you know he was he was willing to take chances and make smart moves um, and sort of sometimes, constantly like probe for opportunities. Yeah, maybe not smart, <laughs> but you know, because sometimes it was like, well, what is he doing? But, but look, you if know. you're if you're not if you're not guaranteed to to win the race in the certain situation, you know, if you're not the field sprinter or the best climber, you have to figure out how to make these opportunities where it's probably not going to happen this time. But if you get enough of those, eventually it'll happen. Right. That's how I feel about that style of racing. And I think that it's very much a, uh, I feel like it's missing from a bunch of American bike racing in particular. Right. Right. So, so yeah, uh, I mean, you know, inevitably a controversial guy, but, um, but hell of a bike racer, hell of a bike racer. And, uh, you know, he made his mark for sure. Like what else is there to say? Mm hmm. Uh, all right. So now I think we really will wrap it up. Uh, I think that, you know, once again, because I'm, I'm not very good at this stuff, we forgot to talk about the Wide Angle Podium Network. Um, but so, so we're going to do that quickly now. Um, we're on the Wide Angle Podium Network. There are a lot of great podcasts here. Um, you should really consider supporting uh, this show and other shows on the network. So, you know, we've got, in addition to uh, our show, there's the, um, oh, what are those knuckleheads called? The Slow Ride Podcast. Um, I hear there might be a new episode of the Dirtfield recordings coming out. I, I think I actually have some idea of, of why there hasn't been an episode in a while. I didn't realize that this, but apparently, uh, apparently Lindsay Bayer got pregnant. Um, yeah. He's going to have a baby. Yeah, so congratulations, Lindsay. Congrats to her. Yeah, seriously. Um, so and I, I, because I am not super plugged into what's going on, this is like everyone's known this for a while, I guess, or maybe not a super long time, but a couple months, but I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's cool. Um, so hopefully there's more coming from her, um, though I, I assume that uh, you know at some point she's going to be quite busy uh, dealing with uh, the whole baby thing. Um as well as the running the bike team and all that stuff. Uh, boy, <laughs> we got to hang out. Uh, bike Shop CX is doing doing good work right now. I uh, like them a lot. And, of course, it's it really is, you know, tis the season for Crosshairs Radio. I mean, they've been 
Uh, Bill's been releasing episodes all along, but um, it's like the Halloween Super Bowl for Crosshairs Radio right now. It is. It it, it really is. It's it's uh, things are about to get crazy, go nuts. So I'd recommend checking all those out and the other shows like Kids Don't Follow and Boy, I can't even I can't even keep track of it anymore. There's so many consummate athlete. I think we 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 should give a shout out to Peter Glassford and Molly Hurlford. Um, yeah. Great stuff. So what you can do is go to wideanglepodium.com, check out the shows. You can donate, become a member at wideanglepodium.com slash donate. You can choose which shows you want to support, uh, which is pretty cool. So if you happen to like our show the best, uh, you can throw all your money at us. Or if you like some other show the best, I guess you could send your money more their way. Or you can just support all shows equally. Uh, It gets you access to, like, cool bonus content we're gonna have some more of that soon right manio absolutely yeah we're gonna do some of that uh, we, we have some out there and we're gonna do more uh yeah so anyway it really helps us keep the lights on helps us keep this happening um because you know it's work but anyway that's enough of that that's a, that's a that's a long ad for wine Eagle podium but um i think it's really it's it's really valuable and i it's you know from my perspective uh, the Wide Angle Podium Network is why we're still able to do this show. There's no, there's no doubt about it that we would not um, still be doing this uh, podcast if we were not on this network. Uh, and we like that. We like doing the show. We any, like our network. Dad? Yeah, we like our network. We love you, Wide Angle Podium. You're the best. Uh, and I think there's going to be news from... From uh, reporters on the ground of other podcasts that are going to the Trek uh, World Cup, this we are weekend. staying tuned. We we're are staying tuned. We're here at the Wide Angle Podium Network headquarters, and we're waiting for our brave uh, podcasters in the field to uh, file some reports. Yes, yes. So hopefully there'll be exciting news from them. So so uh, head on down and check it out. All right. As usual, listeners, we love you very much. Um, Thank you for staying with us. And we will catch you next time on the Honest Bicycle Program. Good night.